Oh, well, I'm going to pull this message will preach itself. Don't forget Jesus. I went to a seminar a few years ago about the nation of Israel, and it was good. There were a couple of authors that I had read books on that I was looking forward to hearing, and so I was looking at the, the lineup, and it was an American speaking about Israel, an American speaking about Israel, another American who had read a lot about Israel, speaking about Israel. And so a trend was starting to uh, occur. And then I saw one of the speakers I didn't know about who was an Israeli army officer, special ops, was speaking at the seminar. And you could choose who you went to go hear. How many know that choice got real easy all of a sudden? I can either go hear Americans like me, who like Israel, or I can go and hear someone who is in the middle of all of the issues that are occurring that can give firsthand information. And the idea of someone who, was, who actually had been there cannot just tell us a secondhand account. He was able to give a firsthand account, and his talk did impact me very much as we surveyed what was going on in that part of the world. In today's passage, our gospel passage in John chapter 3, we pick up a conversation that Jesus was having with someone named Nicodemus. And you may have heard the first part of the conversation because Jesus gave one of the most remarkable statements that have really helped define Christianity. He said this, you must be born again. What a statement. You must be born again. So a lot of us were familiar with that term, and for the last 45 years, it's been a huge term here in America. It comes from the Bible. You must be born again. But what qualified Jesus to make such a bold statement to a, a, a religious official who was more educated than him? What, what allowed Jesus, who was from Nazareth, which wasn't prestigious, and he was a common carpenter, and now he was a rabbi, but now he's a rabbi unlike any other rabbi because he's making claims about salvation, and, and, and he's speaking under authority, and he's saying, listen, this is the way you get salvation. The way that salvation has been described for centuries by our forefathers, it's changed. What gives Jesus that authority? Well, now we'll pick up the passage in John chapter 3, and I'm going to give you my first observation today. And it's this, is that Jesus is unique. Write it down. Jesus is unique. Now, here's, a, here's one of those statements that you read in the Bible, and you're like, I'll get back to this later because that sounds real complicated. Verse 13, no one has ascended. This is what Jesus says. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man is another term for the Messiah. It's used a lot in the Gospels, not so much after the Gospels, because the Son of Man, you can see it capitalized on the screen as it is in most of your Bibles. The Son of Man was one who, who uh, it, it was describing a mission from God. Like Jesus had a mission to humanity on this planet. He's the Son of Man, and it's, it's revolved around that mission that he has. So this statement that we may have read past real quickly and like we're not familiar with that phrase, we're not exactly sure what it means, was a authoritative, demanding claim by Jesus. Jesus is saying, I have authority like no one else has had authority because I came from heaven. 
I came from heaven and descended to earth and I, I can go back and forth, which we know that he did. No other, no other prophet, no other rabbi, no other religious leader claim that connection between heaven and earth. And so it's very much, going back to my opening illustration, it's like, do you wanna hear from the guys who are talking about Israel or the guy who's actually been there? So it is, like, do you want to hear from people like Aaron Allison and your favorite podcast preacher or, or other religious leaders? Or do you want to hear from the Messiah, the Son of God? Do you want to hear from the one who, has, who came from heaven and there's a connection between heaven and earth? He ascends and descends. This is powerful and this is authoritative. And so it is, like, there's a lot of noise around Jesus today. There's a whole industry around Jesus. We call it... Jesus junk, you know, Jesus bumper stickers, Jesus keychains. Every time I tell that joke, I forget there's someone in our church selling stuff like that, and then I feel bad about it. So God bless you a hundredfold if you're selling Jesus junk, like Isaac. But this whole idea, this, this whole market around Jesus and religious uh, life around Jesus and you know salaries are on the line and building payments are on the line and institutions that people are wanting to carry on into legacies and to last for uh, multiple generations. All of this kind of legacy is on the line and we begin to um, talk around Jesus and talk around the peripheral of Jesus, uh, periphery of Jesus, and, and, and Jesus is kind of something that helped us start our churches and our organizations and helped us start our reputation and helped us start our identity. But here's the problem, is we can get busy around the concept of Jesus and forget Jesus himself. This is why gospel readings are so important. I'm amazed at my own life. I'm amazed at my own life how little I've applied the Beatitudes in my life. How little I've applied the Sermon on the Mountain situations. And how, being a church kid, I grew up in church, and I've been employed by the church, and I'm around the church, and I love the church, and I don't want to demean the church. I'm just trying to speak prophetically so that we can open our eyes. I, I, I've given my life to the church, and I always want to. But I, I, want, I want us to hear this, is that it's really easy to get involved in the church and to build your life around the church and to not go back to the Beatitudes, to the Gospels, to, to the teachings of Jesus. And we're like, Jesus really didn't understand what he was saying. Todd Hunter asked this, asked this question, do you really believe Jesus is smart? Because a lot of us don't think Jesus is intelligent. Because we're like, well, Jesus said that, but that was just a good saying. He didn't really mean it. And though there are metaphors here and there, the basic heart of what Jesus is, Jesus is demanding us to be different. Jesus is demanding us to think differently, talk differently, act differently. And, and it's probably different than what we expect. It's, a, it's by being men and women of peace, men and women of purity, men and women of sacrificial lives, Men and women who, who follow his teaching and heart, even when people in our 242 group do not. I'm going to tell you, sometimes if you want to stand for God, people in your own 242 group may not understand. People in your men's Bible study may not understand because some of you are ahead of your time. I'm telling you, 20 years ago, I, I had thoughts as a young man from the scripture 
And, and as a young man from the scripture, I, I, I even prophetically knew that things I was involved in within the church was not right. It was not of God, but I didn't have the confidence yet because people around me that I respected could not see spiritual truth. And God helped us through that. And now I'm in the older generation and I've got to keep in tune with what the Lord's doing. My point is, listen to Jesus. Listen to him also primarily. And we know he uses the community. And so that's a different sermon. You with me? You've heard that sermon too. But for this sermon, don't let the community keep you from hearing Jesus and his word. All right. Well, that stuff wasn't in the notes. I hope you enjoyed it. I should have just kept those notes down there, right? Morning surgeries. A lot of you guys have had morning surgeries, and we get to go pray with you at those. And you know how it works. They say, show up at the surgery center at 6.30 a.m., and the surgery's scheduled for 8. And you get there, and the receptionist is present. The nurses are present. The anesthesiologists are getting ready. Eight o'clock scheduled sermon comes, and then it becomes 8.15 and 8.25 and 8.40. It's not going to start on time, morning surgeries. That's one of the times, though, you're okay with it because you want your surgeon to be well-rested. If he or she didn't sleep good last night, just go ahead, sleep an extra 30 minutes. We want you fresh. We want you focused. We want... You get to give attention to detail. We don't want a groggy surgeon. And so we know that. We go and we prepare for 8 a.m. surgery, and doesn't matter who else is there. Doesn't matter what the atmosphere is. If there's no surgeon, there's no surgery, right? If no surgeon, there's no surgery. Here's number two. Jesus is necessary. That's what the scripture is telling us. He's the surgeon at the surgery, now, verse 14, he shares with Nicodemus uh, something that, that Nicodemus certainly would be familiar with as a religious leader. He said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And so you have to have some familiarity with this story that we find in the book of Numbers. And so, and just in case you don't, and we're running ahead of schedule, man, I've never, I haven't got the pulpit at 925 in years. So here we go. I don't know if, if, if Josh, who led worship today, is just a big football fan, and he's just trying to help you guys out. I noticed that the, the, every first Titans game, home game, the 9 a.m. service just swells. So... Numbers chapter 21, verse 4 through 9, it's an unusual story, but how many of the Bible's unusual? Can we, just, can we just agree with that? I mean, the Bible is really unusual. And, and it goes and, and it proves to you that it wasn't written by one person with a scheme. It was 40 different authors, 1,500 different years, for longer than that probably. And, um, and, and it was inspired by God. So there's just parts of it you're like, why did people put that in there? What does that mean? And I'm okay with that. When I tried to figure out everything about the Bible, I, I got really, really perplexed. But when I accepted the fact that it's an odd collection of books and there's an anointing on it, 
there's an anointing on it. And so we struggle with the text and we find Jesus in the text. Verse four, they set out from Mount, Mount Or by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. How many of that will preach too? I preached that sermon a, a couple of different times. By the way, I don't know if you know this, we have 11 years of sermons online at CIL.church in case you ever want to go listen to some of those. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread or water and we detest this wretched food. And then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and they bit them so that many Israelites died. And the people then came to Moses and said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake image and mount it on a pole. And when anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake, mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten, he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. In this dark story, we see it pointing to Jesus. And if, you know, there's a lot of times that scripture tells us the Old Testament always points us to Jesus. It's always the story, an example. But in this case, even more so because Jesus said, remember that story about Moses and the snake? Yes, that's talking about my mission here. And so we'll read again, John 3, 14 through 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man, man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So we know that these poisonous snakes represent the attack of the enemy, the attack against our soul, Satan attacking us. And here it is, it truly is a story of grace that Moses interceded. And when Moses, uh, under God's direction, put up the bronze snake, everyone who had faith to look at the bronze snake would live. And now Jesus is saying, here I am, this simple what we would call now blue-collar worker turned into rabbi, not from the prestigious part of the nation, not from the place that is, is of, of high esteem. Here I am. I am Jesus, and I am saying that if you look to me, you'll be saved. This, again, pushes back against this concept of Jesus is this great moral teacher, or Jesus is just this really this, this uh, uh, great orator. No, Jesus is this one. Luke, you're going to like this. Jesus is this one who claims to be God. He claims to be God. And he claims to be God. And he does it through this statement. And this statement says, when I'm lifted up, when I'm lifted up, I am the only one who can save you from the attack of the enemy. I'm the only one who can save you from the poisonous attack. I'm the only one who can make difference. Jesus is completely necessary. He has to be the one, and he has to be the one we look for. You know, purpose statements can, can, can be very helpful in corporations. You know, in business language, there's all of these different kinds of statements, mission statements, value statements, um, all of these different statements that really keep people in, in corporate training busy. Purpose statement is about inspiration, Purpose statements about inspiration. 
what inspires people. And we, we can talk about mission statement and vision statements. All those things have a little different purpose. But a purpose statement inspires, inspires people. John 3.16, there is no other scripture in the Bible that is more inspirational for our purpose. It says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is a scripture that is so inspirational to all of us that it's one of the first scriptures we memorize. It's, I remember in the 80s, speaking of, of football, that uh, there was a guy whose ministry was to put John 3.16 banner, and he would, when they would kick a field goal, he would say that. How many remember that in those days? And so, and, and this idea that like if people read John 3.16, if people know John 3.16, then they'll get the essence of, of who, who God is and, and what the gospel is. So here's my third point today. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. Doesn't it just feel good to hear that and declare that? I'm afraid for not all of us it does. I, I'm amazed at how many Christians want to send people to hell. It's like they get excited that people are going to hell. They get pumped. They're like, I'm saved and everybody else is going to hell. And, and, and I, I, that, is not, that is not living out the heart of Jesus. Jesus came and took the message of God redeeming the world from one family, Abraham, from one nation, the Jewish people, and he opened it to the entire world. And that's what we are called to do as people of reconciliation. But for some reason, for some reason, we, I don't know if it's just a self-esteem boost to us. Like we love the thought that we're going to make it and other people aren't. And I'm not God and I can't figure out all of those nuances. I do know what the scripture says. And, and, and I do know that there's only one way to heaven that's through Jesus Christ. That's what he said here in these previous scriptures. And that's why we worship, honor him. That's why I give my life to him. But I know this is that Jesus gave his life for everyone. For God so loved the world. You know what that word means? God so loved the cosmos, the entirety, not just one family, not just one tribe. He loved everyone that he gave himself. He gave himself, uh, he gave his only son to save the entire world. This is much different than the pagan religions of the day where people would make sacrifices and they would make Maybe animal sacrifices or sacrifice of their crops or, or whatever the case is, sacrifice of their time for special holidays with zero guarantee that the gods would accept their sacrifice. I mean, it was just a hope. It was just a hope that the God would, would accept their sacrifice. It, it reminds me of a story in the, in the book called Kneeling Christian. I'm just remembering this story now about how this unknown author who wrote this book called The Kneeling Christian uh, was in India, and, and it was one of the many, many idols. And he saw that people would write their prayer requests uh, on little pieces of paper, wad them up, wet them in their mouth, throw them at the idol, hoping it would stick. Knowing that it was unlikely to stick, because now we know all of the dynamics of physics, that, that would be a very unlikely thing, but certainly some did. And this idea, if, if it stuck, then the gods would answer our prayers. And we have a God that we don't have to wonder about us getting his favor or earning his favor or receiving his favor. But we have a God who, who when we call out his name, he promises he's there. 
And this is the love of God. And, and you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, this doesn't make sense because, like, God should bless good people. God should bless moral people. God should really judge people's karma. I mean, that's a word from a false religion, but we're like, if you're a good person, you get in. If you're not have enough good karma, you don't get in. This is this idea that we, we are just so impressed with ourselves. We're trying to earn our way into heaven by our good deeds, by our morality, by being God and country Christians, uh, by tipping a little better to people, uh, by taking off our hat at the ball game, by pledging allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Guys, those things don't get you into heaven and they'll never qualify you to get you into heaven. Okay, so, so relying on you're the, the culture we live in and relying on the fact that you happen to be born in America and relying on the fact that you happen to be given an education, even if it's, if it's an education you didn't want. I mean, you've been educated to even sit here and listen to this sermon. Th th these are gifts from the Lord. And yet we take pride in those. We're like, hey, I'm a good old boy. I'm a good girl. I'm a good lady. And I, I have access into heaven. And the only access we have to heaven is by, because of what Jesus did for us. This, this is it. And you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. I don't like that. I mean, I think that too because someone could live a horrible life and, and I don't have to fill in the blanks, whatever you wanted to find it and be in the, in the penitentiary at Riverbend right now. And when they call upon the name of Jesus, they have all the glory of heaven that you and I have who come to church, give our money, sacrifice. They have all access to Jesus. They, they may have been the, the most uh, dark criminal, but they have all access to Jesus if they depend on his grace and call upon his name. I don't like that. I don't like that because I really think that Jesus saved me, but I'm still a lot better than those people out there. And we really like to think, yeah, Jesus saved us, but our country is better than all the other countries. And, and I love our country, so I probably shouldn't have even gone there. But, but I'm saying in the sense of, of, I'm not talking about nationalism. I'm talking about in, in moral authority. And, and, and all of this, all of this gives us a spiritual pride to not depend upon Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1:18 says chapter 1 verse 18 For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but it's the power of God for those that's being saved. So we can say and I can say in many moments of my life I haven't liked God's plan to save the world. I haven't. But guess what it's his plan not my plan. In fact, I thought that it's foolish that God would save someone who was not moral, was not good and was not disciplined and, and didn't care about the values that I care about. And he, he or she has all the access to heaven for someone like me who had been baptized since I was five years old. My natural mind sometimes doesn't like that. And my natural mind says, oh, that's foolish. That's, that, that's a dumb plan in my mind. You know, the world would be a much moral place if God just judged us by our deeds and not by what Jesus did for us. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but it's the power of God for those who are being saved. For it is, this, it is said, written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? 
For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. That's what we're talking about now. This gift that God says is for everyone. It's for the whole world. The table of the Lord is open. It's open for anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind, but it's what our heart wants. It's what our heart longs for. And so it is that the foolishness of the gospel is what we celebrate and who we are. Here's where my last point today is Jesus chooses love over condemnation. A lot of times we stop at John 3.16 and we don't remember about Jesus' mission in John 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the story we're living out. God is saving the world. He's saving it one life at a time. He's saving it one family at a time. He's saving it one region at a time. The Lord cares so much for the United States of America, and I am praying and believing, and I want to see a third great awakening. I, I believe that we need revival, which means we need Christians who love God more than they love football. We need Christians who love God more than they love the Grammys. That's what revival is. It's when Christians come alive again. We need Christians who, who love God more than their vacations. If you're living for your next vacation, you're living too low of a life. If you're living for your next experience, you're living too low of a life. I'm speaking about all things that I participate in. So I'm not calling us to be masochists that we avoid the world because the Lord says for us to transform the world. But I'm just telling us is this, is that everything is secondary to the greatness of Jesus and who he is. His purposes for this world, his purpose to redeem us, his purpose to save us, his purpose to save us is not just so we can get into heaven. It's so that heaven can get into us. It's not just so that we can make it in the by and by. Someday, sweet Lord Jesus, we're going to enter in. No, it's Jesus is going to enter in right now. He's going to enter into my community, to my job, to my church. Jesus is going to enter into my filthy language. Jesus is going to enter into my prejudice. Jesus is going to enter in and heal me of my racism. Jesus is going to heal me of, of the, the systems that I'm part of that oppress the poor. Jesus is going to heal me from unethical business relationships. It's not about just getting into heaven. It's about heaven and getting into us. This is why God loves the world. And so when he comes and he says, I'm here, God so loved the cosmos. It means he loves every part of the world and he wants to send his love into every aspect of who we are as a people. And that's what we want to receive. God is not a harsh, cruel anxious ruler ready to pour out his anger on mankind. I know some of us want that type of God, but he's a God all through the Old Testament. He's a God of tender compassion. He's a God of mercy. He's a God who will relent upon his judgment when his people call upon him. He is a God who will change his mind when he chooses to change his mind when he sees a humble and repentant people. He is a God who has tenderness towards man. He is a God who has paid the price 
price that we couldn't pay ourselves because he wants us all to be saved. He wants to save us from our addictions. He wants to save us from our habits that keep tripping us up. He wants to save us from the temper that keeps destroying the love inside of our family. He wants to, to, to save us from those things that trip us up and cause us the same to, uh, to make the same financial mistakes. Salvation is here. Salvation is here inside of me. Salvation is a reality today. Resurrection is something that is alive in our hearts and it's alive and it's resurrecting our marriages. It's resurrecting our hopes to be married. It's resurrecting our relationships. Resurrection is alive because God loved the whole world. He loved the cosmos. He loves all of us and he wants to give us his heart. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for the declaration of who Jesus is. As Jesus, Jesus revealed himself to Nicodemus and he told Nicodemus, he, he said, I'm the one who's descended and ascended from heaven. So I'm qualified to tell you to be born again. And he says, he says to us this day that he has loved us so much that he sent his only son into the cosmos, into all aspects of the world to redeem us. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him will have the eternal life that doesn't begin when you breathe your last breath on earth. Eternal life begins when you discover the greatness of who Jesus is. That's when eternal life begins. John 17, three says, for this is eternal life. Jesus said this, that they may know me and the father who sent me. Father, I pray for an explosion and release of Jesus. I pray against the religious spirit that's getting our eyes upon the church, getting our eyes upon religious culture, getting our eyes upon the culture that we're in, getting our eyes upon self-righteousness, getting our eyes upon our own deeds. Father, forgive me for forgetting Jesus. Forgive me for marginalizing you, Jesus. Forgive me for picking other men over Jesus. Forgive, forgive me, God, for loving other preachers more than Jesus. Forgive me for loving churches more than Jesus. Forgive me for loving denominations more than Jesus. God, I thank you for a birthing of your work within us. I thank you for releasing of the love of the Lord. Let's just stand together. Father, we just want to pray for release of the love of the Lord. This is what Jesus said. It says, whoever believes in me from within him will flow rivers of living water. How many know that sin and a lack of priorities and even moral things that become idols in our lives, like things that everyone's saying that's a good thing in your life, but that thing which others are calling good is becoming an idol in your life and it will dam up the river of the Lord. It will dam up the flow of the Lord. It will, it will keep scripture from coming alive in you. It will keep sermons like this, um, these, these dull, lifeless words. This is what happens. This is what happens when we, we, when we let the river be dammed up. But Jesus said, there's a perpetual river. And like, it's still there. It's welling up. It's welling up within you. Father, we just pray for a release of the spirit of Jesus within us. We release of the Holy Spirit. God, we just pray among your people, God, that you would release your work, God. You would release what you want to do. That, Father, we wouldn't cut off the work of God. 
We wouldn't stop the work of God, but Lord, we would allow the work of God to flow. We would allow the work of God to flow today. See, the Lord's wanting to minister to you right now. We have some extra time that we usually don't have. And this is time, I know you're like, good, the sermon's over. I'm ready for the heat to get turned off. I'm ready to go about my lukewarm life. I'm about to go on to my own agenda, my own desires, my own plans. But the Lord said, I've given you more time today because he's right now, he's chipping away. He's chipping away in hardness. He's chipping away. He's, he is, is like that hammer that we talked about. He's just coming after your heart. He's coming after the hardness. He's coming after the walls. He's coming after that place of separation. You built a wall between you and the Lord. You know, brick by brick, stone by stone, stick by stick, grabbing anything you can, getting dirt, getting clay, trying to create cement, trying to create separation from the Lord. And it's just building up, building up, building up. But the Lord's saying, by my spirit, I'm going to kick down every wall. I mean, we've been, we used to sing about that. There's no mountain high enough. One of the, one of the songs we sing today, there's no wall you won't kick down. Remember that song, the overcoming Maybe I had to sing that for five years before I knew what was happening, that we're going to build a wall between us and God. And the Holy Spirit's going to kick down every wall, kick down every wall of separation, kick down every wall of rebellion, kick down every wall that we're building that we think can keep us from the grace and the love of God. No, he's releasing those things in our life. Father, we thank you for that. And, And we just come and we present our hearts to you. We present our hearts to you. Who is the Lord calling back home today? Who's the Lord calling back home? If like this is your day and you say, the Lord's called me back. I did not know that God was gonna speak like this today. I didn't know God was gonna be this direct this day. I thought I was putting in my time today, but the Holy Spirit's arresting my heart. If you're in that far left section, just raise your hand and say, this is my day. God's speaking through this right now. Raise your hand if you're in the far left section. Thank you. Anyone else in the far left section? What about the middle two sections? Go ahead and raise your hand. God's speaking to a couple of you. I see that today, those middle two sections. Some of you are worshiping. Some of you are acknowledging that far right section. Anyone saying, God's speaking to me today? Speak through this message. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else? God is speaking to me today. Father, we just pray in these last few minutes we have together. Oh, Jesus, do your work as we give ourselves wholly to the cross, as we give ourselves completely to what you want, completely to what you're going to do. And so we thank you for that.